Hello, everybody. This is the Cincinnati Herald podcast. I'm your host, John Alexander Reese, digital editor of the Cincinnati Herald. And if you don't know, the Cincinnati Herald has been around since 1955 and is the largest African-American newspaper in the greater Cincinnati area. And today I'd like to present my guests. First with me, I have media consultant and co-host of the podcast, Andrea Carter. How are you doing today, Andrea? Fine, John. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Then I also have with us circulation director of the Cincinnati Herald, Wade Lacey Sr. How are you doing today, Wade? How are you doing, John? Good to be here. Good to have you. And then we also have our Herald intern with us, Maeve Hamlet. How are you doing today, Maeve? I'm good, John. Thank you for having me. Good to have you. And we also have special guests, the president and CEO of the Center for Closing the Health Gap, Renee Mafferty Harris. I am really very blessed to be a part of today's conversation. So thank you all for having me. We're glad you're here. Now, before we get to you, we want to head into some of the top news topics of the week. The Affordable Care Act, the public health care system signed into law by President Barack Obama, survived a legal challenge last Thursday when the Supreme Court ruled that it cannot be struck down on the basis of the elimination of the individual mandate. Justice Stephen Breyer wrote the majority ruling in the case, California versus Texas, Justices Samuel Alito and Neil Gorsuch were the only members of the nine-person court who dissented. The Texas versus California ruling marks the first challenge the ACA has faced since conservatives took a six to three advantage on the court last fall. Republicans had hoped that the newly conservative court would rule in their favor. Andrea, your thoughts on this news story? I I think it's a wonderful thing. I think it proves that um, the Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare, is here to stay. I think the fact that it is the GOP has tried so many times to challenge it, and it has withstood all sorts of challenges that at this point, with the Supreme Court ruling it, it is here to stay, and they need to just move on to something else. Wade, your thoughts? Well, hopefully, now we can do what even uh, Obama tried to do after they had uh, first put this in place, is to fix it. And uh, hopefully with this, uh, the the Republican will now uh, try to work with the uh, Democrats to try to fix some of the problems that the Affordable Care Act has in it. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a wonderful program overall when you look at what it's trying to do, but there are certain areas that need to be upgraded and fixed and everything to make it a true affordable act. So hopefully this this is the last time we'll have a challenge to the, to the thing overall, and it's now time to to sit down and look at how they can make it better. Maeve, your thoughts on the story? Yeah, I think it's a good thing that, um, you know, it's here to stay. And it's kind of sad to think that certain group of people would want to get rid of it. But it's a huge victory for, you know, millions of Americans, and especially people like my age, uh, college age, who are still able to stay on their parents' insurance until I think 25. So yeah, I think it's a huge win for a lot of people. And moving on to our next story. The long battle over whether armed teachers must have extensive police level training is over as the Ohio Supreme Court ruled that staffers must have hundreds of hours of training before they can carry guns in school. A group of parents sued Madison schools in September 2018, seeking an injunction blocking the district from allowing teachers and other staff to carry guns without the training required of law enforcement officials. 728 hours versus the 24 hours the school has in its policy. In a four to three decision, the majority of the justices agreed state law requires advanced training before staff can carry concealed weapons on campus. Wade, your thoughts on the story? It's a good thing. 
Uh, when you think of you know, requiring them to have additional training, that these, I think they wanted only 24 hours. I mean, that's definitely not enough. Uh, so they, they said that they need the same level of training as the police carry, carry those guns in, in the schools. And so I think it's a good thing. It's, I'm curious to see how many will follow up on that because that's, that's a lot of uh, hours there. So uh, I know a lot of educators were, a segment of, of educators were gung-ho for this, uh, but now with this additional hours of training and that they must go through, I wonder how that will affect the numbers. Andrea, your thoughts on this? I, I think it's a double-edged sword. I know we want to protect our kids in the classroom. We want to protect our teachers. We want to protect a lot of people. At the same time, we are asking the teachers to take on another skill set that they should not be required to do in teaching our children. Schools should always be safe. And even though they've ruled that they need to have training, I don't agree that teachers should have guns in schools. But with everything changing in this world, I'm not surprised by the ruling. And I just hope that each school district weighs very carefully if they decide to allow teachers to have guns in the classroom and at least put in a safe in a safety area so that they'd be gotten to easily, but at the same time, not where someone else can get it and cause trouble. John? Yes. Just go back. My comment is, is concerning the training since they are allowing them to have the guns. Not that I agree that they should have them. Right. Of course. Of course. Maeve, your thoughts on this uh, subject? You know, I have mixed feelings about this because it's asking a lot from teachers. And, you know, teachers are already one of the lowest paying careers and they have so many responsibilities. And I understand, you know, the desire to make schools feel safer and, you know, kind of have that peace of mind in their own classroom. But I don't know. I, I just really have mixed feelings. I think a good resolution, though, would be just to be have more police presence in schools, you know, so you don't have to ask teachers to take on this, you know, extensive training, just put the people who that's their dedication and that's their job in these schools. Moving on to our next story. The Democrats sweeping attempt to rewrite U.S. election and voting law suffered a major setback in the Senate Tuesday, blocked by a filibuster wall of Republican opposition to what would be the largest overhaul of the electoral system in a generation. The bill, known as the For the People Act, would touch on virtually every aspect of how elections are conducted, striking down hurdles to voting that advocates view as the civil rights fight of the era, while also curbing the influence of money in politics and limiting partisan influence over the drawing of congressional districts. Andrea, your thoughts on this story? I think it's appalling that the Republicans have chosen power over what is right for the country. They have just proven once again that they're not for the republic. They're not for their constituents, and they're just not what's best for democracy. And I think it's a shame that we have representatives, especially from Ohio, who stood, you know, who stood up for this. I think at the end of the day, the Republicans continue to choose to keep, try to keep a hold of processes in place so they can retain their power instead of allowing the country to grow and be fair. We have to, those of us who have voted for people in the past and have not gotten our way are used to a system working against us, but eventually work for us. The Republicans need to suck it up and do what's best for the country and not what's best for them. 
Wade, your thoughts on the story? Well, the issue to me is the confusion of the uh, process uh, with the House and Senate as to how they they can run things. For them to, whether it's the, uh, the Republicans or the Democrats, for them to be able to filibuster or do, do something where you can't even vote or, or discuss the bill itself, that's disturbing. So uh, it seems that some of the, the policies outdated and they need to make some changes there. Uh, there's no way you should not even be able to sit down and discuss this issue and give each, each party a chance to speak their mind. Maeve, your thoughts? I think it's alarming how hard Republicans are fighting to block this bill. And I think us citizens and voters really need to pay attention to the story and watch it and just vote and, you know, take action as need be. I don't think this is a story that should get lost in the news. I think this is a really important story for our country and what our country in the voting process might look like within the next few years. So I think we all need to pay close attention to this and uh, really take into consideration what might happen if these rights are being blocked from voters. And moving on to our next topic, political newcomer India Walton could potentially be Buffalo's first woman mayor and the first socialist mayor in the major U.S. city in over six decades. Walton, a nurse and community activist, ran with the support of the Democratic Socialists of America and the Working Families Party. Walton beat four-term Democratic Mayor Brian Brown by seven percentage points, or about 1,500 votes, in Buffalo's mayoral primary. Andrea, your thoughts on this story? I, I think it's a new day in Buffalo. I, I think that the people at the end of the day wanted something new, and I think that's a, a growing attitude across the country. They want something new. They want to see something new, different, innovative. And even though she is a socialist, I think she brings a, a fresh, a breath of fresh air to Buffalo. And I think that at the end of the day, we might see more of this across the country, not just at the local level, but also at the state and state level as well. So I think it's a wonderful that it's a wonderful achievement for her. Wade, your thoughts on this story? It's interesting because, uh, again, when you say socialist or socialism, 20 years and before ago, uh, you would have scared a lot of folks. But uh, times have changed. And a lot of folks are, are now starting to move in that direction. What happens in the next few years with the Democrat Party would be interesting. I'm looking at it from a historical point of view. I know back when Roosevelt was president and you had, we had the Depression and then different things were put in place, laws and, and federal um, things happened to aid the, the public to try to bring everybody out of the, the depression. And at that time, a lot of the blacks who were Republicans moved over to the Democratic Party. And what that shift did was it caused a lot of the Southern Democrats to move to the Re Republican Party. And that's why you have that friction even now today in the Re Republican Party, because a lot of that is, is different fractions in there and over the years uh, one fraction is overtaking the other. Uh, so I'm waiting to see now as more and more women of color start to make their uh, steps known in, in on the political scene, when will the Democrat populace fight back? Again, I'm looking at it from a historical point of view and it's one thing to say yes we we want equality and we want you to do well uh, 
all that stuff sounds good, but if you look at it historically, when you start taking people's position and jobs, your mind shifts. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Maeve, your thoughts on this story? Yeah, I wish her the best. And I think it's exciting to see a young woman of color in a seat of power. Um, But yeah, I really do wish her the best. And yeah, I think it's exciting especially with socialists behind her title, you know, that's so rare. And it's, in, it's, it's an interesting story overall. And those are the top news stories of the week. So uh, let's move on to Renee Mahaffey Harris. How are you doing today, uh, Renee? I'm doing good. So the first thing I want to uh, talk to you about is that you were recently uh, honored uh, with an award. Can you tell us about that? Yes, I, I, um, I was, was nominated by the Radio One Cincinnati um, for Urban One Award for Shiro's. And um, I was really honored um, that the GM for this region recommended me and um, I guess submitted my name to be one of the, um, I guess, many people nominated across the country. And I, I was very surprised. And so um, I am very honored to be able to be honored in this way for the work that I believe is what God would have me to do anyway. So I'm just very, I was very humbled and honored to receive this recognition with my other Shiro, I guess, in DC, who is a, a firefighter and a public servant um, addressing the needs of our of the community of DC, you know, through this time of COVID-19 and the um, pandemic we're in. So I was very honored. Also, as you're aware, the United States, uh, we've surpassed uh, 600,000 deaths due to COVID. And I know we're slowing down on deaths, but that's still um, an unfortunate uh, landmark to a hit. How do you think the United States is doing with COVID right now? Well, because of the vaccine, the rates of death have have really greatly reduced and, and, and thank God for the vaccine. But in our Black in brown communities, we are still behind those numbers of people being vaccinated, along with other groups of people who are choosing not to be vaccinated. So we still have a lot of work left to do. However, you know, because of the decisions that have been made at the federal and state level around lifting the restrictions, um, I just caution all of us to remember that we still are responsible for each each other. And um, we're not out of the woods um, because we have low utilization of the vaccine across not just the Black community, but other communities as well. And so we, we are still in a pandemic. Um, I know we're all eager to get outside and get back to life as normal. But the second, this well, there are a number of variants, but the variant that is here, the Delta variant, is beginning to mutate. And the only protection against the variants is the vaccine. Um, so I urge everyone to get information, answer the questions and concerns, but make informed decisions to save yourself and your families and all of us um, from seeing that number rise beyond 600,000. How concerned should we be about the Delta variant? We know that the only way to stop the variant is, is to be vaccinated. Now, we also know that within all of the vaccines, there is a 95% efficacy and some, you know, 90% efficacy against the variant. So what that tells you is that if in fact there is a percentage of people that could still get COVID-19 even being vaccinated, but what the vaccine does is 
is dramatically reduce the symptoms and the outcome. So the only fight against the variant is the vaccine. And people who have had COVID-19 and believe that they have antibodies that stop them from getting additional variants, be it the Delta variant or any other variant, are incorrect. Because you've had COVID by itself does not stop you from getting COVID again. And so the vaccine is the only way to stop the variant for having an impact on our lives. And I was also reading that um, people may need to get a booster shot uh, in the fall for the, uh, for, you know, for COVID-19. So there's a lot of information floating around and, and, and until a point where Pfizer, Moderna, or J&J come forth and make that a definitive statement, I believe that there's been speculation, but that has not been announced as a fact. So I, I can't, I, I personally can't speak to that because I have not, you know, I think that there's have been conversations, but I think Unfortunately, we're in this state where the research is unfolding every day. The solutions are unfolding every day. So the bottom line is we can't really contemplate something that is not a fact yet. But what we can do is continue to recognize that we're still in a pandemic and we still need to exercise caution. Yes, you know, we are left to our own choices. Both the federal government and state government have lifted all sanctions and left the choices up to each of us individually to protect one another. Now, I was also reading um, about how many, you know, Americans are getting vaccinated. And unfortunately, uh, we're not going to meet Joe Biden's goal. I can't remember how many Americans he wanted to get vaccinated by July 4th. But I don't know if it was 70 or 80. (laughs) I can't remember either. What do you think it's going to take to get, you know, more Americans vaccinated? I think it's like any other health outcome. I think as each individual person who we are in relationship with come to the decision that they're ready to take the vaccine, it's going to happen one person at a time. Many of the vaccination events that are taking place, there are fewer people being vaccinated, but we, we, are, we are celebrating every person that gets vaccinated because now it's individual. It's, it's your friends, family, loved ones, um, coworkers, who people see who have gotten the vaccine and see that while they are doing well and they have greater ability to walk around in some ways, you know, feeling more confident because they are vaccinated. And I think it's just going to take time. Um, I think it's going to be one person at a time. People are still listening to, and like you said, there are stories you hear. And so what ends up happening is people share different stories they hear. And because we are a shorter attention span people, um, all of us, we hear something and we hold on to that. And so that might be the reason that causes us to say, "Mm, I'm not really quite sure. And so, you know, it's an individual decision. So all I suggest and all I ask and all of that we are all trying to do collectively is make sure that people have good information and facts to make informed decisions. And it's really gonna be one person at a time making the decision to get the vaccine or to continue to protect yourself by still social distancing, still washing your hands um, and still using caution. The long haul impacts of COVID-19 are ones that, you know, scientists and doctors can't really explain. They can't explain why a fully healthy person now has some long lasting impact of COVID-19. So that's the reality. 
is from our other Harold intern, Suhana, who's listening on the call with us. And she asked, what's it like to be a community leader during times like these? And how can we encourage more leadership during the pandemic and this new world ahead of us? Well, I really appreciate that question because I think the silver lining in this time is that we often don't work together towards one common goal, but we are all working together towards saving each other's lives. And I think that if it doesn't matter what area of leadership you're in, I think if we all utilize any place that we have the ability to reach other people with information and to be a part of making sure that we can save each other's lives. I think we each have that responsibility. And I'll, you know, I'll say during this time, you know, all that I keep thinking about for myself is, you know, God gives us grace every day. And so we are each other's keeper. And so for me, you know, I, I want to do all that I can with all of my other peers, colleagues, so that we can work to save each other's lives, because that's really what's at risk now. I want to thank you, uh, Renee, for uh, coming on this call and definitely informing us uh, more about COVID. Well, thank you. Thank you to your fellow uh, podcast um, team members of Andrea and Wade and Maeve and, and John. Thank you. Thank you all for what you do every day and helping us in our community understand what the issues are and being the voice in our community. Yes, thank you. And like I and I'll also like to thank Wade and Maeve and Andrea for coming on and talking about some of the stories we uh, talked about earlier. Thank you, guys. If you want to uh, check out the stories we talked about today, make sure you check out our website at www.thesenseiherald.com. You can also check out our print edition, which is sold at your local Kroger, UDF, Walgreens, Joseph Beth Booksellers, and at select service stations. And make sure to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast site. We're on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Audible, and TuneIn Radio. Just search for Since I Herald Podcasts. Follow us at Since I Herald on Facebook. Follow us at Cincy Herald on Twitter and Instagram. And you can follow us on YouTube. Just search for the Herald TV. Remember, folks, if you haven't gotten vaccinated, now's the perfect time to get vaccinated. I'm John Alexander Reese, digital editor of the Since I Herald, and have a good day. <laughs>